the following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're going to be talking moneylicious today with my guest, Ornella Gross, who is the author of, strangely enough, a book called Moneylicious, I love the title, A Financial Clue for Generation Y. And you don't have to be in Generation Y to appreciate the uh, guidance and and, uh, advice that she gives you, will give you, because because it seems to me that no matter what age you are, um, we all could use some financial advice. I mean, this country could use some financial advice. We're kind of going down the tubes. Um, right. So, so you know, it, it's really, it would be great if they taught these kinds of things in high school and college and so on so that uh, people would become more responsible. But I thought this was a great time to bring Ornella on because, one, this is right before Christmas. Is uh, The temptation is great to go out there and and, of course, when we see all these bargains, you know, it's not just for Uncle Joe and Aunt Sally and uh, Grandma, this and that. It's not just for our loved ones and our friends that we're tempted to buy these gifts, but when we see all these, you know, half price or all these other bargains that are so tempting and we're right there, of course it's very tempting to get these things for ourselves as well. I mean, you know, um, nothing like getting a present for yourself. So... Also, um, we're coming up to the new year, making resolutions, and of course, one great resolution would be to become more financially savvy in the new year, so that we're not living on credit cards, losing our homes, um, running into all kinds of financial trouble. So, Ornella, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'd like to start out with, because this is really, you know, the interesting part, um, before we get into the advice, you're 27, right? Uh, just turned 28. The okay. December. And, you know, this is, um, so you can relate, of course, um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that um, you would, you know, at a relatively young age, I mean, compared to like um, Susie Orman or, you know, some of the other people that we see in the media talking about, uh, talking about financial advice, you know, it's really interesting that you 
got into this now at a time when, uh, not that it's limited to the 20s, but um, certainly at a time when people are typically um, spending first and trying to save or trying to be responsible later. So what I'm sure my listeners would like to know, I would like to know, is what made you what made you write this book? What made you be interested to begin with in financial matters? What was going on in your home as a child growing up that got you to pay attention to these things? Well, it's funny that you say my home because that's exactly where I I want to say my inspiration came from and some other factors, but mostly in my home and a lot of that comes from the fact that my parents it didn't seem like they lived paycheck to paycheck because as a little girl, you know, I, I could, you know, get all the things that I needed but never what I just wanted, and they would always say, you don't need it. But as I got older and my mom finally explained to me some of the financial stresses, you know, I realized when I re- in hindsight that she was right. I didn't always have a chance to do everything that I would want to do. And when you see yourself, especially in your own experience, when you start seeing that you live paycheck to paycheck, you start to wonder uh, where can you get the advice of being able to invest your money? Is that even possible? Um, because it seems like in order to invest, you have to have a certain dollar amount, which isn't true. Um, well, well, and... you, before we go there, though, wh- when you were growing up, um, when you were a little girl, when, what kind of work did your mother do? Well, both my parents are engineers, and my mother is an electrical engineer, and my father, um, I'll just say he's also an engineer. Right now he works um, as a buyer for a company. But, you know, as engineers, you also are going to have to learn on your own about finances. No one's going to teach that to you either. And, granted, they had a great education from, um, with, within the schooling that they uh, attended in Romania. And it, it's a very different mindset um, because, again, you know, they came from a country where you didn't have to to plan for yourself in retirement. It was somewhat the idea was going to, the thought was that you were going to be taken care of. Um, very similar to how we have here Social Security, but over there would be, you know, a little better. Um, and the idea with pensions. And these are all the things that they were thinking that they would end up having now that they're in their 60s. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, there's been layoffs. You know, there's been at times no work. There's been... I think what many people have gone through in this country now, but they've also gone through it before. That's very interesting. And so Mm -hmm. when you were growing up, you kind of realized that there was some insecurity in the household about money. Not just insecurity, but also lack of loyalty from a company. Definitely the lack of loyalty where, you know, there's some people who just don't want to be entrepreneurs, big business people, or be wealthiest in a sense of, of monetary value. They do want to work for a company, and that's how my parents grew up, that you work for a company for a long time, and it doesn't mean you're not successful in that company. You are, but with not really wanting to promote you, not feeling appreciated, and willing to just lay off people just, because, just for profits for the most part, because when these things happen, it didn't happen when the economy it was the way it is today at all. Back then, the economy actually was, was booming, and people were hiring, and, you know, Wall Street was, was booming, and real estate was great. So it's interesting to see how things compare to today and how things were before. And I would say that through my family trials and tribulations, they've gone uh, 
a, definitely a big learning lesson of how to manage their money uh, correctly and realize that it's not always going to come your way when you want it. Mm-hmm. So, so you were aware. What I meant was you were aware of your your parents' insecurity or the or the insecurity of not knowing whether you how much money was going to be there as you were growing up, and you kind of decided you better become independent. You better on your own find out about all of this to, to be able to um, sort of organize your own financial affairs better. Yeah, to that extent, and also just for me personally, you know, I actually I do like money. I mean, I do <laughs> see how money can actually, I, I want to say, bring happiness. I don't want to say it's the end of, you know, it's the only way to bring you happiness. Absolutely not. There's other things in life to bring you that fulfillment. But, you know, when you don't have money to pay the rent, when you don't have money to pay the mortgage, or when you wish you had money to purchase this item that you, luxury item, or to purchase this car, there is some satisfaction and gratification to what money can bring to you, and, and you really almost can't enjoy your life without some some type of money in your life, without being able the freedom to want to go and travel. That costs money. Um, to buy someone a gift, that costs money, even if it's $10. You know, there's... Money is so much part of our life, and, you know, like I said, as a little girl, I've always wanted things, but, you know, couldn't always get them. Yeah. Maybe with a little convincing, maybe I could have. You know, I just a, a quick experience is just I, I loved playing basketball, and I, and I did even throughout high school. And I remember I used to convince my dad, okay, I have to have new basketball shoes because it's the new season, and, you know, I gave all these reasons, and, you know, so those maybe would have been times when I've gotten things that maybe I just, I wanted. But if you were to ask me, did I ever get the brand new car or did I get, you know, you know, money to pay the rent? No. All that stuff uh, was pretty much on my own. So when, when and where and how did you start learning about all of this? It wasn't from your parents. How did you go about it? Well, a little bit from my parents because they always did say, don't get into credit card debt. Um, make sure you have cash on hand. You know, just start investing in your 401k even when I was 18 years old and I was a teller at a bank. So I really started to see how people manage their money, actually, even at 18 years old when I was a teller. And, you know, I'm, I'm a smart little girl, so I can see how people would overdraw their accounts. And they would, you know, complain about the bank overdrawing their account when it's really them who's not managing their finances for the most hmm. part. Um but even throughout, I just always had an affinity to want to manage my money, to want to have cash on hand, to want to have that you know, freedom to make my own decisions of what to do with my money. And so even in college, um, as a finance major, you learned a lot about investing and analyzing stocks and all, but surprisingly, that still doesn't prepare you on how to manage your own finances until you get out into the real world and actually have to handle it. And... With me, I just started to get in. I started reading any books I could, even with the internships that I took and also working within the financial industry within the past five or now six years. Um, right now, working as a retirement planner for the teacher's retirement system, you know, I, it's opened up my doors to all these different financial vehicles that were out there and how people were just not aware of it. But also, most importantly, when it came down to the basics, it's like people wanted to skip the basics to want to reach this uh, a dollar figure, you know, for retirement. It's like they don't want to do some of the, the work in the beginning 
in order to reap the benefits in the end, it's like they, they felt that they had to have thousands of dollars already in order to, to receive any type of benefit later. Hmm. And so having those experiences and meeting with, with, with people on a one-on-one basis um, for appointments, counseling, it really had opened my eyes up. And especially the last, uh, when I moved from California to Georgia in 2008, that's where I started entering really the banking industry um, with Wachovia Bank. And I saw not only how cutthroat it was, but I also got to see more in the affluent communities where I was located at how they too didn't know how to manage their money either. And I just thought, well, if these are parents of my generation who can't manage their money, then how is my generation going to handle it when there's no one teaching them? Yes. Teaching them and that. And that's why you wrote yes. the book. And that's the main reason all that is to say that that's why I also wrote the book. And just to add one more thing, um, it's also I got a little disappointed with the financial industry and the banking industry. You know, I got into it to want to help people manage their money and, and to consult them, but like I said, it's so cutthroat. It's like you almost have to bypass all that education in order to make bucks. What do you mean? And, what, what do you well, mean? Well, with sales. With sales. What? You know, one thing I learned in the banking industry was that it, it may sound bad, and the, the, and the group that I worked with really were ethical people, but I have definitely heard and known of some people in the banking who didn't do things right not necessarily incorrect to a client or to a customer, but more to the bank, just to show their sales numbers. Hmm. And so as much as they, you know, told you, you know, gather information from people and make sure you can, uh, you know, know what their immediate needs are before, you know, cross-selling something else, you couldn't imagine the conference calls we had every single day or the emails we had to send out, or where we were on top of our goals and things like that. And I just thought, you know, in order to educate these people, it's not going to come from the banking or the investing world because unless you have the investable assets, at least 200 or a quarter million dollars more to invest them, or the, the fee to, um, or the amount of money to afford the fee that they charge hourly for an investment advisor, you weren't going to get that advice. And that's where I came up, that, and that's another reason why I also wanted to write the book. I had something I, I wanted to say, and especially for my generation, since they are such a big group of young adults who are entering the workforce. Well, now, um, and again, uh, let me for those of you who have just tuned in, I'm talking with Ornella Gross about her new book called Moneylicious, A Financial Clue for Generation Y. Um, and X, Y, and Z. Um, uh, what are some of the things? I mean, I, the, when I've been reading this book, the thing I, I, I sort of, I, I have to be honest, I kind of dreaded um, starting to read it because, I, like, I'm, I'm one of the people that, that uh, could learn quite a lot from it. But it's like, you know, it's it's like. You don't want to be told um, to save or to be, you know, or to do the right thing. That kind mm-hmm. of cuts down all the fun. But I must say that when um, I was really pleasantly surprised to see t- the tone, the way you wrote the book, it's like it's like two friends, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, I read that your favorite drink is chai latte, mine too. It's like two <laughs> friends sitting over a chai latte and one who knows a hell of a lot about uh, money, 
mm-hmm. and managing it, just talking in a very friendly kind of way about what to do. It wasn't sort of, um, oh, it wasn't punitive or it wasn't uh, too dry or academic. It was just really a very, um, you know, like you can tell that you know that what people like to do, that, uh, um, you know, that there are certain temptations, like you talk about buying $200 jeans or things like that. Um, so it's not like you're not, you know, you're not standing over the reader with uh, a ruler. <laughs> right. Saying, you know, you have to do this. It's very, it's very easy to read. It's very um, inviting. Yes, and that is another reason. There are so many reasons why I wanted to write the book, um, but I wanted to make sure if I did write the book, it was going to be very conversational. Um, I'm a big talker, and, you know, my friends will, sometimes my friends and I, we joke around and, and they'll say, you know, you're like the mom of the group. You always tell people what to do, and I, I swear it's kind of like, it's just in me where I just, it's like that's my job in my life towards my friends and family. I tell them what to do. I tell my parents what to do because I care so much. And then so in the book, I realized that when people are actually educated, especially Generation Y, definitely do not like being told what to do. They just, woof, cap out. They don't even listen. Their eyes are shut. Their brains have shut down. But if you educate them and they understand the big picture and you still don't take away the fun things in life because, hey, you only have one life. If you want to spend $200 on a pair of jeans, on a pair of shoes, go right ahead. That's that is perfectly fine, just as long as you make sure you have everything else in place. You have your foundation of your personal finance set up, that you've got the retirement plan set up and, and you're contributing to it, same thing with emergency funds. Even paying off credit card debt, I'm actually probably a little unorthodox. Um, you know, the, the, the advice is going to be pretty much the same on paying credit card de- uh, debt, uh, no, matter where, no matter who you hear it from, Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey or David Bach even, um, because there's certain things about personal finance that just does not change. And what I wanted people to understand is that as long as you have a plan to pay off your credit card and you're fine with the deadline, and yet you still want to go spend money on something, you can actually go ahead and do that, but make sure you pay it with cash. Do not charge it on your credit card. Hmm. And that's where I'm a little different, um, because I realize. As long as you have a plan in place, there's nothing wrong with rewarding yourself along the way. You just don't go crazy with it because that's what got you in trouble in the first place. So it does require discipline, and it does require you to have a reality check on, on, on yourself too. And so that's what I want my book to accomplish is for you to get that reality check, but realize it doesn't have to be boring, you don't have to dread it, and yet you can still enjoy you know, your money. You don't have to be stuck to saving every single penny and be a penny pincher. So what, um, I get, why don't we, you know, we'll just have time to go through some of the highlights. What are some of the things, um, and this book is great because it really, you know, it it does organize you. It does um, sort of cover all the main points that you need to think about. Um, What are some of the things that you feel most passionate about that you're trying to get people to do or things that people make the mistakes in most? There's actually um, a few things. Um, is I really want people to have an emergency fund. I really do. And 
I want people to understand that lesson. Like I said, it, it's perfectly fine to indulge in luxury items, um, but also at the same time, you want to—if you have credit card debt—you do want to get out of it as soon as possible. So that is where you have to learn to set your priorities, and it's important to have those short-term, medium-term, long-term goals. And if a, a medium-term goal is maybe to pay off credit card debt in two years, well then. Make sure you've got the plan to pay it off in two years or maybe it's to pay it off in one year. And I actually allow it to come up. I allow the reader or the person uh, to come up with their own strategy, uh, what's going to work for them based on what I've, I've provided in the book. And also to understand that the differences between, I guess, I will say good debt versus bad debt. You don't want to get into debt, which bring you zero value to your finances and your goals. For instance, a lot of young adults are going to have student loan debt, and I don't want them to feel overwhelmed with the fact that student loan debt, credit card debt, a car note, you know, prioritize which one needs to be paid off first, the credit card. If you can, the car, hopefully it's not too uh, huge of a balance. And the student loan debt is something that they can actually continue paying the minimum payments on because at least they can deduct the interest for the most part. And to also invest for the long term. I had a friend who told me he was apathetic to long-term investments, and I just said, all right, well, see you later, because when retirement comes around for you, which it will, don't come to me for money. Don't ask me for money. Don't ask anyone for money, because there's no one you can ask. There's no bailout for you. There's no loans for you when it comes to retirement. And although you may be young, the point is just to start now with an amount that you can afford um, when it comes to long-term investing. So those are just some of the few things that I, I really want the readers to get out of it and to that way to help them achieve that financial success. Now, you mentioned that people should have an emergency fund for eight months. I was curious how you came to the number eight months. Uh, the unemployment <laughs> with what's been happening in the world today. You know, it's interesting how the unemployment has just been extended. And, you know, people were so used to before where you could find a job quicker. Yeah. Now it's taking you a little longer. And you don't know how long that will be. And I'm not saying, again, that you have to have eight months of an emergency fund put to the side before you can even do anything else with your life. I mean, that's a little unheard of. That's very difficult to do. But the point is, is to work your way up to that, and that way you have a cushion, and you just leave it alone just for an emergency in case you do lose a job um, or the car needs to be repaired even. Those are emergencies. So the eight months, again, comes from the fact with the way things are in the, in the world today is to put you back into reality again that yes. the way the world is today, um, or I'm sorry, the way the world was several years ago when real estate prices were booming is not the way the world has always been. Yes. Well, we, need to take, we need to take a break now. We will mm -hmm. come back to that. Um, my guest is Ornella Gross. She is the author of Moneylicious, a financial clue for Generation Y, uh, offering some of the highlights of her advice, but it's like really, it's so neatly organized <laughs> like she wants us to be about money. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned.
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Moneylicious, which is the title of a new book by my guest, Ornella Gross. It's actually Moneylicious, a financial clue for Generation Y, but it's for all of us who didn't get a clue (laughs) when we were uh, the age of Generation Y, which I think is 99% of America right now because... uh, because this country seems very confused. <laughs> you know, it's, or no, it's like, um, you listen to the radio or television 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, you listen to these so-called experts about, like, where to invest in the stock market or what, which way the, or or like in California, which way the housing market is going. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody says something different. Yes, they do. And that's why the part on investing, to be or not to be investing, is actually the, the chapter, is to put away all of the attention that the media will display on the TV or on the radio for everyone to listen and see and get them confused. And, you know, I love investing uh, more than anything um, because you do want to see your money grow. But, you know, it's now it seems that investing kind of means you don't see your money grow. And I think the most important thing is that people have to understand, especially uh, Generation Y, is that they have time on their hands and they can weather out the ups and downs of the market. And what a lot of people don't know is that the longer time you have in the market, the less volatile it is. And so you don't have all those, all these ups and downs that people see to go up and down, up and down every single day. This might be going a little too, uh, too far deep, but all that has to do with short-term trading and people's emotions, you know, on, on, on what the news says about the market or about a certain company. But... We, if you ask me, today is the best time to invest. You know, GE's stock price is really low. Last time I checked, it was around $16. Um, and that's a company that's going, that's very well diversified in their uh, consumer and, and products that they offer. And so right now, because of the way the economy is, things are on sale. And that's the way I kind of describe it, that when things are down, it's like a sale at Macy's. People are able to afford it. And the market will go back up. That for sure. When? Nobody can predict that. No expert, no analyst, no one can predict when that's going to happen. But the important thing is to actually be in the market when it happens so you don't miss these upswings. And just another tip, what I think a lot of investors don't know, is that these upswings only happen a few times. When these big jumps happen, that's when you want to be, that's when you want to already have been in the market. You don't want to get into it after it's happened. Otherwise, you're now just following the herd. and You've missed out on some of the biggest gains that you could have gotten. And that's why you hear a lot about invest for the long term. Or you hear don't pull yourself out of the market. And I find that the most important thing when it comes to investing is obviously the diversification uh, making sure you don't have all your eggs in one basket or have a different, um, also have a different asset allocation. And what I mean by that asset allocation is I mean having a mix of stocks, bonds, real estate, cash. There's nothing wrong with being in real estate. Um, there are real estate funds for that. I even have a real estate fund in my re- for my retirement. Mm. But truly where you do start to see the positive effects of investing is through compound interest. And you probably have heard of this, and many people have. And compound interest is very simple. It's just earning interest on interest and reinvesting those earnings. And that's really critical uh, to actually a good financial success. And as I said before, um, with especially with younger people, uh, Generation Y, they have so much time that time is actually what I call the, the trade-off between risk and reward because that truly is driven by, by time. And another tip I want to give as far as investing so people don't get scared 
when things go down and when things go up and they don't know what to do, you actually have to have a strategy in place. And that strategy is called rebalancing. And what that means is that you actually are going to remain aligned with your investment strategy and investment objectives. So say, for instance, you had 80% stocks and 20% were in bonds. And let's say something happened to the market and it went up, and 90% stocks, and now you've got 10% bonds. Well, you are now have um, diverted away from your original strategy, which was 80-20, because that's the risk that you can afford to take, and that's something you were okay with for, let's say, it was a long-term approach. So when that happens, you may want to consider possibly uh, rebalancing it so it goes back to 80-20, if, if that makes sense. Yes, <clears throat> because the bonds would be a safer investment. Right, and, 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 and it's not so much to look at as far as investing as just this big, huge risk where you're always going to lose your money. The problem is, is that people didn't have a plan in place for the most part, and they were aggressive. You know, if you're somebody who's, you know, 28 years old, you can handle to be more aggressively invested in stocks. But if you're older and you don't have that much time, now you have less time, then your approach needs to be a little bit more conservative because the risk you're taking is not having the money there for you when you need it in 5, 10 years. And that's the risk. Whereas somebody now, you can be invested in stocks um, if, if you want to or more um, uh, mutual funds that are actually are um, with mostly invested in stocks or other equities or real estate because you can weather the ups and downs of the market. But what I will say um, is that it is important to also look at cost. And cost really can eat up your return. And it can also really make your losses look even bigger because the costs are too expensive. So you do want to look at the expense ratio of whatever it is you're investing in. And so I'm actually a big fan of index funds because they don't have such high costs as mutual funds. And it's great for the long term, especially for young, for Generation Y, because they really do have a very long time. Let's go back a bit because um, for people who are listening and thinking, what? (laughs) You know, what is she talking about? I don't, I don't understand, you know, these different tools to invest in and so on. You know, you were talking earlier about um, uh, people feeling overwhelmed. I mean, you were, for example, with Generation Y and and, uh, school loans and and, uh, car loans and so on. Um, And and actually, it's not just Generation Y. Most people these days are feeling overwhelmed with whatever, you know, too stretched out on credit cards, maxed out, and, and their houses being worth not as much as they paid for mm-hmm. and so on. So it's all generations that are really feeling this, this pain. <laughs> so what right. would you, um, to get less um, overwhelmed, tell us, if we were just kind of listening to you and realizing, man, <laughs> as if we didn't know before, but really realizing, um, man, I am in deep trouble. <laughs> Um, I I haven't planned, you know, I've just kind of been going from day to day, Mm -hmm. week to week, paycheck to paycheck, you know, um, trying to have enough to pay for my immediate needs. Um, Tell us about how you would go about 
just starting from the beginning and and sort of doing a plan, doing an overhaul, um, organizing one's finances and seeing what to do next. The first thing you want to do then, um, so you're not overwhelmed, is to get that reality check. And that is to look at your finances, look at everything that you owe, look at where your income is coming from. And again, um, for those who are working, you know where your, where your income tends to be coming from. But for those who are in school and they have student loans, granted, you don't use income as, uh, you don't use, I'm sorry, you don't use a loan as income, but you should treat it that way because you do use it to pay, you know, for books. You might even use it for some living expenses a little bit. So all that should be used as your sources of income to, to pay your expenses every month. What you want to do, and I think the easiest way to do this, so you kind of get an understanding of your fine, of how you manage your money or how you spend it, is to maybe for one, I would say two weeks even, get a piece of paper out, pen or, or a um, pencil, and write down where you spend your money and how much. So what you bought, what the item was. If it was chai tea latte at Starbucks, you know, put three or four dollars. If it was um, something at lunch that you bought, write the amount down. If it was a clothing item, a gift, um, uh, utilities, mortgage, rent, write down everything that you've had to spend, you know, for a couple of weeks or if you want to go even further, do it for a month to get a, a clearer picture. And then tally up your expenses and compare it to what you take home. And if you see that you have more of an impulsive uh, spending habit, maybe you bought something on impulse, that's fine as long as you recognize it and you learn that that's not something you should do. If you ended up charging something on a credit card, all right, don't punish yourself. Don't beat up yourself about it. Just understand your own habits. And that is the most important thing to realize is to first actually follow your own money and see where you're actually spending it before you can make an assessment of what to do next kind of like a business. Before you can do anything, you need to manage your cash flow. Same thing with your personal finance. Yes. Okay. Well, we do need to stop here, but that's a great... Um, we'll, we'll continue with what step-by-step, step, what we what the beginnings are of what you need to do when uh, to sort of do an overhaul or a makeover on your finances. My guest is Ornella Gross. Her book is Moneylicious. You can't forget that title. Moneylicious. And it is Moneylicious. A Financial Clue for Generation Y. We'll be back with more steps for what to do What to do when, uh, when the column of expenses is far greater than the column of income. That's my question. <laughs> so stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday afternoon at 2 Pacific, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Ornella Gross, who is the author of the new book called Moneylicious, A Financial Clue for Generation Y. And as I've been saying, it's pretty much for all generations because uh, generations older than Generation Y have not gotten a clue. <laughs> so we were in the middle of um, you setting us straight about, um, you know, the first step of trying to get uh, in control of our financial condition. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about writing it all down, the income and the, and the expenditures and getting a picture, a snapshot, especially for a month, of um, where our money is going to. So what happens, you know, I think, I think the reason why a lot of people are, are, have resistance to that is because they know that if they write it all down they're carefully, um, their mm-hmm. income and their expenditures, that they're going to see that their expenditures far outweigh their income. So what do you tell people about that and what should people do when they discover that? Well, I'm a little too direct, I'm just, I would just say it's reality check, but not to beat yourself over the head with it, <laughs> not to stress yourself out or put yourself down. It's just 
take the emotions out of it if, if you can and really treat it like it's a business. If this is a business that you were running, where do you think you would have to cut out your expenses in order to get a positive cash flow? Now, once you kind of see that your expenditures definitely um, is, are more than, your, than, the home, than the money that you take home, look at what you can cut out. Probably going to be some unnecessary items, some luxury items that you could probably do without for a while until you can get back on track. Um, sometimes it could be entertainment. That tends to be big for people, uh, and I mean as far as dining out even. For me personally, cooking uh, became the way for me to save more money uh, because I spent, you know, two or $300 going out, eating, lunch, dinner, you know, picking up food here, whatever the case may be, and I learned how to create some simple meals um, and healthy <laughs> and cooking actually has been a way for me to cut back on my expenses. It actually, it's forced me to learn how to cook, and I've even had to ask my mom for some, you know, home-cooked recipes. Hmm. Now, aside from cooking, and, you know, I think people have heard that before, you know, you know, coupon clipping and, and all that stuff, but also, what if it's credit card debt? What if you are just charging your credit card? Um, what if you're making credit card payments, and that's a big chunk of your expenses? What if it's your car? That tends to be People's like second, high, next to rent and mortgage, their car or credit card is, is is a big chunk of their where 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 their money is going, which is terrible. So before we start attacking the car, if you got credit card though, with credit card debt, you know I list off the two ways you can pay it off, and you can either you know pay it off by listing the credit cards with the highest interest rate first, or you can list the credit cards that have the um, lowest balance to the highest balance. And you can pay off the card by knowing uh, which, what is the minimum amount of money that you can spend or that you can pay over the minimum. So let's say you choose to do the, the highest credit card first to pay off, and then you do the lowest with, with the highest interest rate, meaning. So the card with the highest interest rate, you know, let's say it's $100, minimum month, maybe you can afford to do an extra $50. And then the other credit cards, you keep paying the minimum. Once you pay off the one with the highest interest rate, take that 150 apply it to the second highest interest rate with its minimum payment. And once that's paid off, you do the same thing with the other ones. Hopefully you don't have more than two or three <laughs> credit cards. Otherwise it could be a while. Um, but that kind of has a snowball effect. Where the other way, going from the lowest balance to the highest kind of gives you the psychological payoff where, yes, I've paid off one card already, and it yeah. gives you more of the motivation to keep going, and maybe that's the way to do it. And some people might argue that, you know, you, you, you pay more interest by doing it that way. Maybe that's the case, but I think at this point, as long as you have a plan to pay it off, that's the most important thing. And if you need to do it that way to get that psychological motivation, then do it that way. Because either way, you just need to get this, these credit cards paid off. Then you're going to increase your cash flow once you've paid off your credit card. And with that increase of cash flow, the next thing you might want to look at is your car loan or car notes. And that one, you also want to see how long will it take you to make additional payments. First of all, you want to make sure it goes to principal and make sure the company knows that. And tackle on paying off the car loan, too, within a certain amount of time. And, and you can tax along that way. And so that's a way you can increase your cash flow, actually, without 
having to think that you always have to go out and get another job or a second job. But, hey, for some people, it is worth going out and getting a second job in order to increase their cash flow to pay off that debt. And I know some people, you know, have done that too. So that would be a way to get a grip of your finances just on a basic level. And you can also learn at that point how to set up an automatic savings to have a certain amount of money going to the side, whether it's 10% of your income or 5% into an emergency fund, and then maybe do the same also with the retirement account as well. So it's all automatic. And that is also going to be the key is to automate those types of savings so you don't miss them. <laughs> yeah, so it's you check your balance and it's gone and you think, damn. I, <laughs> but then but then you have these, these savings and you have something really positive going on. You know, you, you make it, you, you do make it seem, you do simplify it um, really extra, in, a, in an extraordinary way that makes it seem very doable and less frightening and so on. And I, I really would recommend this book. You don't have to be in Generation Y. I recommend it to, to everyone because it's sort of a, as I said at the beginning, it's sort of a friendly, um, not punitive <laughs> way of, of getting a grip on this. And, and uh, we really all, you know, it's so sad, um, and I know we're running out of time, but what's so sad is that it's how the, the bottom line to all of this, you know, how our society has has. I mean, yes, we all love money and we all love what money can buy, but our society has taken too much of a focus on material goods and um, have, has caused people to, you know, instead of us cherishing things like friendships or travel or volunteer work or, you know, things that are good for the soul, um, affirmations. I mean, I'm just gratitude journals. I'm just throwing stuff out here off the top of my head, but it's things that have a more spiritual base than than just things that money can buy. It's really sad that we're so oriented to that in the first place, and that's sort of the underlying key. To we wouldn't have to be um, so worried about you know or so careful about things if we had a different focus to begin with, and we weren't keeping up with the Joneses or caring mm-hmm. what the label of our our clothes say. And you know, even even for kids in in, in elementary school. They look at what kind of sneakers they're wearing or what kind of what purse they have. I mean, it's like ridiculous. And mm-hmm. and we, we all need to sort of work to, to make that less important and to make other values more important. Well, I guess um, we are at the end of our time. I want to thank Ornella. Um, and Ornella, is there a um, place that you would like to direct people to get the book? Yeah, um, they can actually head over to my website, moneylishbook.com, to get some more information about me in the book, but also they can head over to Amazon, and they can purchase the book there. And again, the, the book is called Moneylicious, a Financial Clue for Generation Y. Ornella, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom and for helping to uh, try to get people to be... Um, be more conscious of where their money goes and, and where, how they're planning for their future in in a, in a um, in a non-painful way. <laughs> right, that's, that's the goal. Way. Goes goes down like chai lattes. So thank oh, you very much. Great. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.